Chapter 2 of The Riddle of the Universe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Riddle of the Universe by Ernst Haeckel. Translated by Joseph McCabe. Chapter 2 Our Bodily Frame. Fundamental Importance of Anatomy human anatomy hippocrates aristotle galen vesalius comparative anatomy george cuvier johannes muller karl gegenbauer histology the cellular theory schleiden and schwann kolliker Kirchhoff, man a vertebrate a tetrapod a mammal a placental a primate prosimie and simie the Catharini, Papiomorphic and Anthropomorphic Apes, Essential Likeness of Man and the Ape in Corporal Structure. All biological research, all investigations into the forms and vital activities of organisms must first deal with the visible body, in which the morphological and physiological phenomena are observed. This fundamental rule holds good for man just as much for all other living things moreover the inquiry must not confine itself to mere observation of the outer form it must penetrate to the interior and study both the general plan and minute details of the structure the science which pursues this fundamental investigation in the broadest sense is anatomy the first stimulus to an inquiry into human frame arose naturally in medicine as it was usually practiced by the priests in the older civilizations we may assume that these highest representatives of the education of the time had already acquired a certain amount of anatomical knowledge two thousand years before christ or even earlier we do not however find exact observations founded on the dissection of mammals and applied by analogy to the human frame until we come to the greek scientists of the sixth and the fifth centuries before christ empedocles of agrigentum and democritus of abdera and especially the most famous physician of classic antiquity hippocrates of course it was from these and other sources that great aristotle the renowned father of natural history equally comprehensive as investigator and philosopher derived his first knowledge after him only one anatomist of any consequence is found in the antiquity the greek physician claudius galenus of Pergamus, who developed a wealthy practice in rome in the second century after christ under the emperor marcus aurelius all these ancient anatomists acquired their knowledge as a rule not by the dissection of human body itself which was then sternly forbidden but by a study of the bodies of the animals which most closely resembled man especially the apes they were all indeed comparative anatomists the triumph of christianity and its mystic theories meant retrogression to anatomy as it did to all other sciences the popes were resolved above all things to detain humanity in ignorance they rightly deemed the knowledge of human organism to be dangerous source of enlightenment as to our true nature during the long period of the thirteenth centuries the writings of galen were the only source of human anatomy just as the works of aristotle were the whole of natural history it was not until the sixteenth century when the spiritual tyranny of the papacy was broken by the reformation and the geocentric theory so intimately connected with the papal doctrine was destroyed by the new cosmic system of copernicus that the knowledge of human frame entered upon a new period of progress 
the great anatomist vesalius of brussels anastasius and philopius of modena advanced the knowledge of our bodily structure so much by their own thorough investigations that little remained for their numerous followers to do with regard to the more obvious phenomena except the substantiation of details andrea vesalius as courageous as he was talented and indefatigable was the pioneer of the movement he completed in his twenty-eighth year fifteen forty three that great and systematic work de humani corporis fabrica he gave the whole of human anatomy a new and independent scope and a most solid foundation on that account he was at a later date at madrid where he was a physician to charles v and philip ii condemned to death by the inquisition as a magician he only escaped by undertaking a pilgrimage to jerusalem in returning he suffered a shipwreck on the isle of zante and died there in misery and destitution the great merit of the nineteenth century as far as our knowledge of the human frame is concerned lies in the founding of two new lines of research of immense importance comparative anatomy and histology or microscopic anatomy the former was intimately associated with human anatomy from the very beginning indeed it had to supply the place of the latter so long because the dissection of human corpses was a crime visited with capital punishment that was even the case in the fifteenth century but the many anatomists of the next three centuries devoted themselves mainly to a more accurate study of the human organism the elaborate science which we now call comparative anatomy was born in the year eighteen o three when the great french zoologist george cuvier a native of montpelgar in alsace published in his profound leçon sur l'anatomie comparée and endeavoured to formulate for the first time definite laws as to the organism of man and the beasts while his predecessors among whom was gauthier in seventeen ninety had mainly contented themselves with comparing the skeleton of man with those of other animals cuvier's broad vision took in the whole of animal organization he distinguished therein four great and mutually independent types vertebrata articulata mollusca and radiata this advance of extreme consequence for our question of all questions since it clearly brought out the fact that man belonged to the vertebral type and differed fundamentally from all other types it is true that keen sighted linne had already in his system naturae had a great step in advance by assigning man a definite place in the class of mammals he had even drawn up the three groups of half apes apes and men lemu simia and homo in the order of primates but his keen systematic mind was not furnished with the profound empirical foundation supplied by the comparative anatomy which cuvier was the first to attain further developments were added by the great comparative anatomists of our own century frederick michel halle johannes muller berlin richard owen t huxley and karl gegenbauer ena subsequently heidelberg the last named in applying the evolutionary theory which darwin had just established to comparative anatomy raised his science to the front rank of the biological studies the numerous comparative anatomical works of gegenbauer are like his well-known manual of human anatomy equally distinguished by a thorough empirical acquaintance with their immense multitudes of facts and by a comprehensive control of his material and its philosophic appreciation in the evolutionary sense his recent comparative anatomy of vertebrata establishes the solid foundation on which our conviction of the vertebral character 
of man in every aspect is chiefly based microscopic anatomy has been developed in the course of present history in a very different fashion from comparative anatomy at the beginning of the century 1802 a french physician bichat made an attempt to dissect the organs of the human body into their finer constituents by the aid of the microscope and to show the connection of these various tissues ista or tela this first attempt led to little result because the scientist was ignorant of the common element of all these different tissues this was first discovered in 1838 the shape of the cell in the plant world by matthias schleiden and immediately afterwards proved to be the same in the animal world by theodor schwann the pupil and assistant of johannes muller at berlin two other distinguished pupils of this great master were still living albert kolliker and rudolf Virchow took up the cellular theory and the theory of tissues which is founded on it in the sixties and applied them to the human organism in all its details both in health and disease they proved that in man and all other animals every tissue is made up of same microscopic particles the cells and these elementary organisms are the real self-active citizens which in combination of millions constitute the cellular state of our body all these cells spring from one simple cell the cytula or impregnated ovum by continuous subdivision the general structure and combination of the tissues are the same in man as in the other vertebrates among these the mammals the youngest and most highly developed class take precedence in virtue of certain special features which were acquired late such are for instance the microscopic texture of hair of the glands of the skin and of the breast and the corpuscles of the blood which are quite peculiar to mammals and different from those of the other vertebrates man in every finest histological relations is a true mammal the microscopic researches of albert kolliker and franz Leydig at Würzburg not only enlarged our knowledge of the finer structure of man and the beasts in every direction but they were especially important in the light of their connection with the evolution of the cell and the tissue they confined the great theory of karl theodor siebold in eighteen forty five that the lowest animals the infusoria and rhizopods are unicellular organisms our whole frame both in its general plan and its detailed structure presents the characteristic type of the vertebrates the most important and most highly developed group in the animal world was first recognized in its natural unity in eighteen o one by great lamarck he embraced under the title the four higher animal groups of linnae mammals birds amphibia and fishes to these he opposed the two lower classes insects and worms as invertebrates cuvier in eighteen twelve established the unity of the vertebrate type on a firmer basis by his comparative anatomy it is quite true that all the vertebrates from the fish up to man agree in every essential feature they all have a firm internal skeleton a framework of cartilage and bone consisting principally of vertebral column and a skull the advanced construction of the latter presents many variations but on the whole all may be reduced to the same fundamental type further in all vertebrates the organ of the mind the central nervous system the shape of spinal cord and brain lies at the back of this axial skeleton moreover what we said of its bony environment the skull is also true of the brain the instrument of consciousness and all the higher functions of the mind its construction and size present very many variations in detail 
but its general characteristic structure remains always the same. We meet the same phenomenon when we compare the rest of our organs with those of the other vertebrates. Everywhere, in virtue of heredity, the original plan and relative distribution of the organs remain the same, although through adaptation to different environments, the size and the structure of particular sections offer considerable variation. Thus we find that in all cases the blood circulates in two main blood vessels of which one, the iota, passes over the intestine and the other, the principal vein, passes underneath, and that by broadening out of the latter in a very definite spot, a heart has arisen. This ventral heart is just as characteristic of all vertebrates as the dorsal heart is of the articulata and mollusca. Equally characteristic of all vertebrates is the early division of the intestinal tube into a head gut or gill gut, which serves in respiration, and body gut or liver gut, which cooperates with the liver in digestion. So are likewise the ramification of muscular system and peculiar structure of the urinary and sexual organs, so forth. In all these anatomical relations, man is a true vertebrate. Aristotle gave the name four-footed or tetrapoda to all higher form-blooded animals which are distinguished by the possession of two pairs of legs. The category was enlarged subsequently and its title changed into the Latin quadrupeda when Cuvier proved that even two-legged birds and men are really four-footed. He showed that the internal skeleton of the four legs in all the higher land vertebrates from the amphibia up to man was originally constructed after the same pattern or to a definite number of members. The arm of man and the wing of bats and birds have the same typical skeleton as the foreleg of animals which are conspicuously four-footed. The anatomical unity of fully developed skeleton in the four limbs of all tetrapods is very important. In order to appreciate it fully, one has to only compare carefully the skeleton of salamander or a frog with that of a monkey or a man. One perceives at once that the humeral zone in front and the pelvic zone behind are made up of the same principal parts as in the rest of the quadrupeds. We find in all cases that the first section of the leg proper consists of one strong marrow bone, the humerus in the forearm, the femur behind. The second part, on the contrary, originally consists of two bones, the ulna and radius in front, the fibula and tibia behind. When we further compare the developed structure of the foot proper, we are surprised to find that small bones of which it is made up are also similarly arranged and distributed in every case. In the front limb, the three groups of the bones on the forefoot or hand correspond in all classes of the tetrapoda. 1. The carpus 2. The metacarpus 3. The five fingers digiti anteriors in the rear limb, similarly, we have always the same three osseous groups of the hind foot. 1. The tarsus. 2. The metatarsus. 3. The five toes. Digiti posteriores. It was a very difficult task to reduce all these little bones to one primitive type and to establish the equivalence or homology of the separate parts in all cases. They present extreme variations of form and construction in detail sometimes being partly fused together and losing their individuality. This great task was first successfully achieved by the most eminent comparative anatomist of our day, Karl Gehenbauer. 
he pointed out in his researches into the comparative anatomy of the vertebrata in 1864 how this characteristic five-toed leg of land tetrapods originally not before the carboniferous period arose out of the radiating fin the breast fin or the belly fin of the ancient fishes he had also in his famous researches into the skull of the vertebrata in 1872 deduced the younger skull of the tetrapods from the oldest cranial form among the fishes that of the shark it is especially remarkable that the original number of toes five on each of the four feet which first appeared in the old amphibia of the carboniferous period has in virtue of a strict heredity been preserved even to the present day in man also naturally and harmoniously the typical construction of the joints ligaments muscles and the nerves of the two pairs of legs has in the main remained the same as in the rest of the four-footed in all these important relations man is a true tetrapod the mammals are the youngest and most advanced class of vertebrates it is true that they derive from the older class of amphibia like birds and reptiles yet they are distinguished from the all other tetrapods by a number of very striking anatomical features externally there is a clothing of the skin with hair and the possession of two kinds of skin glands the sweat glands and sebaceous glands the local development of these glands of the abdominal skin gave rise probably during the triassic period to the organ which is especially characteristic of the mammals and from which it derives its name the mammarium this most important instrument of lactation is made up of milk glands mammae and the mamma pouches folds of the abdominal skin in its development the teats appear through which the young mammal sucks its mother's milk in internal structure the most remarkable feature in the position of the complete diaphragm a muscular wall which in all mammals and only in mammals separates the thoracic from the abdominal cavity in all other vertebrates there is no such separation the skull of mammals is distinguished by a number of remarkable formations especially in the maxillary apparatus the upper and the lower jaws and the temporal bones moreover the brain the olfactory organ the heart the lungs the internal and external sexual organs the kidneys and other parts of the body present special peculiarities both in general and detailed structure in the mammals all these taken collectively point unequivocally to an early derivation of the mammals from the older groups of the reptiles and amphibia which must have taken place at the latest in the triassic period at least twelve million years ago in all these important characteristics man is a true mammal the numerous orders twelve to thirty three which modern systematic zoology distinguishes in the class of mammals had been arranged in eighteen sixteen by blauville in three natural groups which still hold good as subclasses one the monotrema two the marsupialia and three the placentalia these three subclasses do not differ in important respect of bodily structure and development but they correspond also to three different historical stages in the formation of class which we shall see later on the monotremes of the triassic period were followed by marsupials of the jurassic and these by the placentals of the cretaceous man belongs to this the youngest subclass for he presents in his organization 
all the features which distinguish the placentals from the marsupials and still older monotremes first of all there is a peculiar organ which gives a name to the placentals the placenta it serves the purpose of nourishing the young mammal embryo for a long time during its enclosure in the mother's womb it consists of a blood-bearing tufts which grow out of the chorion surrounding the embryo and penetrate corresponding cavities in the mucous membrane of the maternal uterus the delicate skin between the two structures is so attenuated in this spot that the nutriment in the mother's blood can pass directly into the blood of the child this excellent contrivance of nourishing the embryo which makes its first appearance at somewhat late date gives the fetus the opportunity of a longer maintenance and higher development in protecting the womb it is wanting in the implantsentalia the two older subclasses of the marsupials and the monotremes there are likewise other anatomical features particularly the higher development of the brain and the absence of the marsupial bone which raise the placentals above all their implantsental ancestors in all these important particulars man is a true placental the very varied subclass of placentals has been recently subdivided into a great number of orders they are usually put at from 10 to 16 but when you include the important extinct forms which have been recently discovered the number runs up from 20 to 26 in order to facilitate the study of these numerous orders and to obtain a deeper insight into their kindred construction it is very useful to form them into great natural groups which i have called legions in my latest attempt to arrange the advanced system of placentals in phylogenetic order i have substituted eight of these legions from the 26 orders and shown that these may be reduced to four main groups these in turn are traceable to one common ancestral group of all the placentals the fossil ancestors the prokaryota of the cretaceous period these are directly connected to the marsupial ancestors of the jurassic period we will only specify here as the most important living representatives of these four main groups the rodentia the ungulata the carnivora and the primates to the legion of the primates belong the prosimiae half apes simiae real apes and man all the members of these three orders agree in many important features and are at the same time distinguished by these features from the other 23 orders of placentals they are especially conspicuous of the length of their bones which are originally adapted to their arboreal manner of life their hands and feet are five fingered and the long fingers are excellently suited for grasping and embracing the branches of trees they are provided either partially or completely with nails but have no claws the dentition is complete containing all four classes incisors canine premolars and molars primates are also distinguished from all other placentals by important features in their special construction of the skull and the brain and these are the most striking in proportion to their development and the lateness of their appearance in the history of earth in all these important anatomical features our human organism agrees with that of all the other primates man is a true primate an impartial and thorough comparison of the bodily structure of the primates forces us to distinguish two orders in the most advanced legion of mammalia apes prosimiae or hemipithecii and apes simiae or pithecii 
the former seen in every respect to be the lower and older the latter to be higher and younger order the womb of the half ape is still double or two horned as it is in all other mammals the true ape on the contrary the right and the left wombs have completely amalgamated they blend into a pear-shaped womb which the human mother possesses besides the ape in the skull of the apes just as in that of the man the orbits of the eyes are completely separated from the temporal cavities by an osseous partition in the prosimiae this is either entirely wanting or very imperfect finally the cerebrum of the prosima is either quite smooth or very slightly furrowed and proportionately small that of the true ape is much larger and the grey bed especially the organ of higher psychic activity is much more developed the characteristic convolutions and furrows appear on its surface exactly in proportion as the ape approaches to man in these and other important respects particularly in the construction of the face and the hands man presents all the anatomical marks of a true ape the extensive order of apes was divided by geoffroy in 1812 into two suborders which are still universally accepted in systematic zoology new world and old world monkeys according to the hemisphere they respectively inhabit the american new world monkeys are called platerini flat-nosed their noses flat and nostrils divergent with a broad partition the old world monkeys on the contrary are called catherine narrow-nosed these nostrils point downward like man's and the dividing cartilage is narrow a further difference between the two groups is that the tympanum is superficial in the platerini but lies deeper inside the petrous bone in the catherine in the latter a long narrow bony passage has been formed while in the former it is still short and wide or even altogether wanting finally we have a much more important and decisive difference between the two groups in the circumstance that all the old world monkeys have the same teeth as man that is twenty deciduous and thirty-two permanent teeth two incisor two canine two premolars and three molars in each half of the jaw the new world monkeys on the other hand have an additional premolar in each half jaw or thirty-six teeth altogether the fact that these anatomical differences of the two simian groups are universal and conspicuous and that they harmonize with their geographical distribution in the two hemispheres fully authorizes a sharp systematic division of the two as well as the pliogenetic conclusion that for a very long period for more than a million years the two suborders have been developing quite independently of each other in the western and eastern hemispheres that is the most important point in view of the geology of our race for man bears all the marks of through katharina he has descended from some extinct member of this suborder in the old world the numerous types of catherine which still survive in asia and africa have been formed into two sections for some time the tailed dog-like apes the synopthesi and the tailless man-like apes the anthropomorpha the latter are much nearer to man than the former not only in the absence of tail and in general build of the body especially of the head but also on the account of certain features which are unimportant in themselves but very significant in their constancy the sacrum of anthropoid ape like that of man is made up of fusion of five vertebrae that of synopthesis consists of three more rarely four sacral vertebrae the premolar teeth of synopthesis are greater in length than breadth 
those of anthropomorpha are broader than they are long and the first molar has four protuberances in the former five in the latter furthermore the outer incisor of the lower jaw is broader than the inner one in the man-like apes and man in the dog-like ape it is the smaller finally there is a special significance in the fact established by selenka in eighteen nineteen that the anthropoid ape shared with man the peculiar structure of discoid placenta the decidua reflexa and the pedicel of alantois in fact even a superficial comparison of the bodily structure of the anthropomorpha which still survive makes it clear that both asiatic the orangutan and the gibbous ape and the african the gorilla and chimpanzee representatives of this group are nearer to man in build than any of the synoptici under the latter group we include the dog-faced papiomorpha the baboon and the long-tailed monkey at a very low stage the anatomical difference between these low papiomorpha and the most highly developed anthropoid apes is greater in every respect whatever organ we take for comparison than the difference between the latter and the man this instructive fact was established with great penetration by anatomist robert hartman in his work on the anthropoid apes he proposed to divide the order of simiae in a new way namely into two great groups of the primaria man and the anthropoid ape and the simiae proper or pithecy the rest of the catherini and platherini in any case we have a clear proof of the close affinity of man and the anthropoid ape thus comparative anatomy proves to the satisfaction of every unprejudiced and critical student the significant fact that the body of man and that of anthropoid ape are not only peculiarly similar but they are practically one and the same in every important respect the same two hundred bones in the same order and structure make up our inner skeleton the same three hundred muscles affect our movements the same hair clothes our skin the same groups of ganglionic cells build up the marvelous structure of our brain the same four-chambered heart is the central pulsometer in our circulation the same thirty-two teeth are set in the same order in our jaws the same salivary hepatic and gastric glands compass our digestive process the same reproductive organs ensure the maintenance of our race it is true that we find on close examination certain minor differences in the point of size and shape in most of the organs of man and the ape but we discover the same or similar difference between the higher and lower races of man when we make a careful comparison even in fact in a minute comparison of the various individuals of our own race we find no two persons have exactly the same size and form of nose ears eyes and so forth one has only to compare attentively these special features in many different persons in a large company to convince oneself of the astonishing diversity of their construction and infinite variability of specific forms not infrequently even two sisters are so much unlike as to make their origin from the same parents almost incredible yet all these individual variations do not weaken the significance of the fundamental similarity of the structure they are traceable to certain minute difference in the growth of the individual features End of chapter 2